0: Welcome to the Book of Acts series, chapter nine. Today, I'm excited because we're going to be doing one of the most important parts, most radical stories in the Book of Acts. This is where Paul became a believer, his conversion, his encounter with the Christ. And this story is especially crazy because of who Paul was. You know, today you look at Paul, you think about him and you think of him as this great, strong believer who wrote much of the New Testament. But when you really look at who he was and where he came from and what he believed before he met Christ, his story becomes one of the most radical stories ever because he was this fierce opponent of the church, greatly feared, like, like this was the guy everyone was afraid of. Like, this was the man, the name that if believers heard it, it sent a chill down their spine because he was killing people. He was overseeing the stonings of believers. He was ravaging against the church, persecuting the church. And and now suddenly something happens to this radical extremist Pharisee that turns his heart more than 180 (laughs) towards the side he was persecuting. Like, how could that happen? And what does it take? Like, this is the question, really. What does it take for a man like that to be turned 180? What does it take? Today we're going to discover that and how his story links with the story of Ananias. There is something that many have missed, something beautiful and amazing I want to share with you today about why God picked Ananias to witness to Paul. All right. So without further ado, let's dive right in. We're going to start off in uh, chapter nine of the book of Acts. And um, let's read. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Okay, he's on the road to Damascus with, with fellow people who are following him. Suddenly there's a light and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, this I want to stop here for a second. This is amazing because Yeshua, okay, Jesus, the first words he tells him is soul, soul. That's what he what what Paul was called before, soul. Why are you persecuting me? Now, I mean, Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute believers, people who say they follow Jesus. Now, why is Jesus saying Paul is persecuting him? I mean, Yeshua has ascended. He's not on earth. Paul is not about to stone him or anything. No, but see, he says this because Yeshua considers our persecution his persecution. He, cons- he feels the persecution that his body experiences. His body meaning believers Followers and disciples of him. This is amazing because this is how Christ is showing and telling us. When you are persecuted for my name's sake, I am with you. I have experienced it and I experience it as if it is done to me. He can understand our tribulations for he has experienced them himself. He he, He knows what it feels like. He is not a God like the gods of the pagans who are so far away, far off, have no care in the world for, you know, people. But he has come in the flesh. And that part of that is that he has experienced it firsthand. He says in Matthew ten sixteen, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise, a serpent and innocent as doves now. This is an interesting part because he's, he's telling them. Right. I am going to send you to places where there are people who do not like you, people who are persecutors, people who who hate you, who would like you dead. And he says, be innocent, right, as doves, but wise as serpents. What does that mean? OK, to be to be wise is to navigate danger. It doesn't mean. To always flee danger. As an important distinction, you know, people oftentimes say, well, you need to be wise. And what they really mean by that is you need to flee from anything that looks dangerous. You know, oh, oh, we, we all need to go live on homesteads because we need to flee the dangers of the cities as the world gets darker and darker, flee to the homesteads. Many are proclaiming, right? But that's not what being wise means. He says, I am sending you in the midst of wolves. I am sending you to that location. But be wise among them as you navigate around them and among them. There are people he may call to live on a homestead. But that's not like this, this universal thing. We need to run from evil. That's just not in the Bible. right? The key is go where he calls you. And that can be in the mid- middle of New York. That can be in the middle of Johannesburg, South Africa. It can be in the middle of Afghanistan. It can be in the middle of Somalia or it can be in a on in a homestead somewhere in North Carolina or Arkansas. Praise God if he leads you there. But let him be the one who leads you there. And don't make decisions on where you go, how you navigate life out of fear, right? That's key. Okay, and then the second part is be innocent as doves. Do not give the world a reason to be able to. Persecute you with and justly persecute you. And what I mean by that is if you steal and you get locked up for stealing, don't call it persecution for Christ's name's sake, as you got locked up for stealing. This has nothing to do with with being persecuted for your beliefs. And, you know, do do not do things that are sinful, that are wrong, giving people who already do not like you because of your faith a reason to reasonably lock you up or persecute you. Do you know what I mean? So if we don't give them a reason, we make it difficult for them to bring a just report against us. If we don't give them reason, live a life in a holy before the Lord, right? Don't live a life that gives people or authorities reasons to come after you. And especially when they do, do not call that persecution for Christ, because that's just dragging his name through the mud, isn't it? If you are actually persecuted for your faith. Praise God. That is a blessing, as the scripture says, but Let's just be if we're persecuted, let's be persecuted for the right reasons and not the wrong reasons. That's what he means. Be innocent as doves. Okay, right. Let's read right on. And Paul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you or to do the men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. You know, what's really amazing for me is that Paul here encountering him on the road to Damascus. There's no arguments going on here. Paul is not like, well, well, who are you? Who are you? What do you want? Like he he, and, and he's not like this, this argumentative Behavior and mean critical spirit that he's been carrying around. It's almost like all of that immediately just fell away. The moment that Yeshua was actually standing in front of him, he had nothing bad to say, even though he was against him, persecuting his followers and disciples. You know what this tells me? The moment that anyone will stand before him, for Yeshua, they will have nothing to say. They will have nothing to accuse him by, even though they had a lot to say when they were not standing before him yet on Earth. But the day that we stand before God, all of our weaknesses all of our sins all of our mistakes even when we were thought we didn't know what they were and thought we were ignorant of them all of our deepest darkest motivations all things are laid in public before us and for everyone and especially God to see and especially for us to see we all of our everything will be exposed And every knee will bow. And I think actually that God, when we are before God in that way, he wouldn't even need to open his mouth. He it it will be his mere presence that exposes all things, and we will be repenting from heaven to earth about everything before he even has anything to point out. And so in light of this, brothers and sisters, as we consider this reality, let us make sure that we treat other people in a way that we wouldn't want to stand before God and repent of how we've treated them like Paul now is facing. He treated disciples of Christ horribly, and now he is standing being is being reckoned with regarding this all. How we treat other people will be the primary thing that we will be judged by, by God. Because what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And so, how we love our neighbor, fellow human beings, will be one of the main things we stand before him about. Let's stand before him innocently when it comes to that. Treating people. Loving them as Christ loved us first. Let's read on Acts nine, verse nine. And for three days now, Paul was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. So he, he literally went blind after seeing Christ. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have not heard from any about this man for how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. OK, well, is there is something in here we're about to reveal dig into that is so amazing that I recently found the Lord show me and I want to share it with you today. I believe will bless you. Okay, there's a few things happening. The first is that Paul is struck with this blindness for three days. Now, as Paul is struck with this blindness, this is really interesting because blindness is this this darkness, right, that, that comes upon him, where he, 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 he just sees darkness, he cannot see. And this is like, really, he is seeing happening to him now, the fulfillment of really what he has be, been. Paul has been spiritually blind for a long time. He has been unable to see, even though he has all this knowledge about the law, even though he is a Pharisee of Pharisees, all of these things. It is like he is dead. He is like he is in the grave with no sight. And now this blindness, spiritual blindness becomes fulfilled and becomes even a physical blindness. Good example of how physical ailments can follow our spiritual conditions. And he is blind for three days. Just like well, where does three days come from? What does three days make you think of? OK, Christ himself was three days in the grave. Three days he was dead, if you will. He was in darkness. But yet then, after three days, what happened? He was raised from the dead. Now, what happens after three days with Paul? God sends Ananias to come and lay hands on his eyes. And Paul's eyes are opened. And he is immediately just about baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit by Ananias. What is baptism baptism is given to us to allow us to partake in what Christ partook. in when he was on the cross, his death, burial and resurrection. So we can die in baptism with Christ being buried with him, as Paul said. And when we come up out of the water, we are raised with him anew. We are resurrected, if you will. And so Paul, he is he goes blind, he dies, quote unquote. And three days later, he is raised from the death, spiritual death that he experienced. He is raised from and now he is baptized in the Holy Spirit and in power. This is a beautiful picture of what we experience and go through as we come to him. We are all blind spiritually before we come to Christ, but then our eyes are opened and we see. But now, why did Paul undergo this blindness? You know, this is something that many people undergo. And, you know, what I just mean by that is maybe not the physical illness or ailment there's not blindness, but maybe it's a different kind of issue um, in life. People go through hard things. You, you may have noticed, you know, many of you listening will have this testimony where I went, th- I was a, an atheist or I was a, a new age or I was a pagan of whatever sort. Right. And then I went through hard times in my life. You know, God allowed Satan into my life to touch me, to hurt to have me go through tribulations, to have me fall into a pit, because sometimes the only way for you to actually look up to God is if you fell into a pit and it's not that God wants you to fall into a pit. It's not that God wants things to go hard with you. But the fact of the matter is it's either that sometimes or or eternal separation from God. It's either that or it's not ever meeting God, because sometimes the only way for someone to get to the father is for them to encounter hardships, because then they realize just how much they need him. And so this is why Paul even says talking about people who are I will read to you this in one Corinthians 5:5. He, he talks about people who are in sexual immorality and and all kinds of grievous sins in the church. Right. And he says these people put them outside the church and he, he even uses the language, hand them over to Satan. It's Kind of strange. But, but listen to what he says. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. When we in this particular example, dealing with someone in the church who is sinning, put them out of the church. In other words, excommunicate them for a little while. Let them encounter the hardships that come along with that. Satan will be given a form of authority over such a person and they will experience tribulations and hardships and difficulties. And that will be the thing that, as Paul says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord, so that in this hardship, he will look up to God, seeing what he has done, seeing how his sins have overtaken him. Because ultimately we need to understand brothers and sisters, you know, when we are in sin, we bring destruction on the flesh. This is our own doing. This is not like God is out to get us kind of thing. This is if you go and you're in sexual morality, this sin will find you out in that all of the tr- consequences of that sin will eventually come upon your life. And so it is with all the sins and the, any transgressions of the law. And so we are handed over to Satan for a while because of our sins. And when we realize what we've done, we hopefully repent and come back to God. And this is what Paul what happened to Paul is his sin of 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 persecuting believers has now caught up with him and manifested in the means of blindness. And this blindness caused him to go into a depression, caused him to go into a, you know, a hardship. Can you imagine, right? Struck suddenly with a blindness after encountering Christ. And this caused him to repent. And in his repentance, he gets baptized. Now, this is beautiful. But I want to go a little closer to what Ananias said here for a moment. Ananias said something really valuable to God when God initially came to him. God's like, Ananias, I want you. I'm giving you this commission. Go to Paul and help him. He'll heal his eyesight. You know, eventually Ananias would baptize him in both spirit and water. And Ananias, his response is, but God, why would I want to do that? Why should I do that? This man is your enemy. This man is an enemy of the church. He is persecuting the church. We have even heard that he has been given authority by the chief priest to to, to do horrible things against the church. What do we do? Right? And, and God says, no, he is my chosen instrument. I will use him. But God also says, I will show him the things he must suffer. In other words, there will be consequences, but I am going to save him and I'm going to use him. So see, when God comes to you. Will you be like an Ananias if he asks of you to be a light even to the greatest enemies of God, or will you be prideful and say, oh, those people, those sinners, I don't want anything to do with them. I wouldn't ever talk to them. I would never even want to be a light to them. Let them let them perish. You know, that, that that kind of heart is not the heart of Christ, because here's the thing, if we want God to not have mercy on on his enemies and our enemies, we would need to have God not have mercy on us. Have you not been God's enemy in your life before? Have you not sinned against his name? Do you not have a past? I think all of us, no matter who we are, have a, even if you grew up knowing the gospel, you have a past. Or there was a time of rebellion. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe it was before that. But there was a time of rebellion against God. But yet he had mercy on you. He, he had grace upon you even though you were an enemy of him and even though your sins was part of the reason that he was put on that cross to die. He had mercy on you. And so this whole thing of this whole thing is not believers and some believers hearts of, oh, no, you know, people I've so often heard believers say, you know, this is and this breaks my heart. Oh, those those Chris, those Sunday keeping Christians, I will never Witness to them. I will never talk to them. I will never even go, even in the midst of them. Oh, let them, let them go to hell. Is is kind of like the the mindset. Or oh, those those new ages, those people in witchcraft. Or oh, those people in uh, who are in atheism. Or oh, those people who are uh, or or in Islam. Or oh, those people who are insert the blank, whoever you don't agree with, you know. It's just not the heart of Christ. think about Paul, man, he is the worst of the worst. No one, no one who you have as an enemy is probably as bad as Paul. And yet, what is God's response? Ananias, I don't really care what you think. I don't really care about how you feel about Paul. I guess he is doing horrible things. But go, I have a plan with him. Ananias heart was right, even though he had a valid question. His heart was, Lord, you said it, I will go. Praise God for Ananias. Now, Paul, you know, it was said, I will. um, God said to Ananias, I will show Paul how much he must suffer. And and this becomes Paul's life. Paul. You can argue possibly because of his role in the persecutions of the church, his life becomes a life of persecution. In fact, when he speaks of the thorn in his side that everyone so famously knows and talks about, Paul actually, in context of it, references all of his extreme persecutions and calamities that has come upon his life. For example, in 2 Corinthians twelve ten, we read for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, calamities. For when I'm weak, I am strong. OK, it's almost like a lot of the things Paul did happen to him. His life is a life of persecution. And so just because God has mercy does not mean that God did not show Paul how much he must suffer. All right, let's read on to um, something more deeply that is so amazing here. Something that I think has been has I've never heard this really ever taught, but Ananias was chosen for a very special reason. And this reason is so beautiful. You know, when Ananias is picked, he is there to now lay hands on the eyes of Paul and heal him. But Ananias has a name that has a very interesting meaning. When you look at the meaning for Ananias' name, it means the answer to prayer. Now, we have uh, in weeks past, we spoke about Stephen's martyrdom, how he died for his faith as the first martyr and as His as he perished, his famous last words were father, as he gazed up into heaven's father, do not hold this against them. This is an alignment with how Christ on the cross said, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right. Stephen was essentially praying for Paul because Paul was the man standing at Stephen's death as as he was being stoned, observing it, approving of it leading it, you can even argue. And as this happens, um, we now have uh, uh, Ananias' name, meaning an answer to prayer. And Stephen was praying for Paul. Do not hold this against them, Lord. And Ananias coming now later, the final step in Paul's conversion, healing him. Ananias is the answer to Stephen's Prayer. How amazing is this? Stephen's prayer did not go unanswered. And Paul came to faith by Ananias, the answer to prayer. How beautiful is that? What do you think? About the power of prayer, because. You you know, I don't know what would have happened if Stephen never prayed this. I, I, w- I don't know, maybe God picked him anyway, maybe not. But since Ananias' name does mean an answer to prayer, it seems as if though if there was no prayer, there would be no Ananias sent to be the answer to prayer, because that's why Ananias was there to answer a prayer. So if. My theory is correct. It could well be that if Stephen does not have that mercy to pray, Lord, do not hold this against them, that Paul never comes to faith. It could be. And what does that mean for us of what does it mean for our responsibility to pray for our enemies? Why does God want us to love our enemies so radically and pray for them? Could it be that we have such an impact on their lives if we are willing to pray Stephen's prayer of do not hold this against them. Will you pray that prayer for your enemies? Because that's the prayer Yeshua modeled. That's the prayer Stephen followed. And that's the prayer God calls you to this day. And you know, maybe, just maybe, if more of us prayed so radically for our enemies, we would see our enemies radically come to faith. Maybe we would see more polls. People like Paul come who were radically against the church, become radical ambassadors. So I want to encourage you this week. Who is your enemy? Who's the enemy of God in your midst? Pray for that person deeply. Stephen even laid his life down, was willing to die. Are you? This is a good question that we need to really ponder now. What I want to show further with Ananias is Ananias is a man who was not an apostle. I've pointed this out a few times in the series. I'm going to point it out again because it's important. Ananias is not an apostle. He is. We don't really know much about him, except that he is he's he's a believer, a strong believer. And God uses him and it says in Acts nine, verse 17, that Ananias actually baptized Paul, not just in water, but in the Holy Spirit. So Ananias is used so powerfully as with the gift of healing. He is used in um, baptism of the spirit. He's used in water baptism and he's another. he's just a believer. He's not some form of a, a, a great church leader or, or pastor. He's just a strong believer who loves God. And this is how amazing it is that if you're a believer, you get qualified to partake in these amazing wonders and signs of seeing people come to faith of being able to baptize people in water and in the spirit like Ananias did. Also notice Ananias baptism, how how when Ananias baptizes Paul, it's rapid, just like when we talked about the eunuch um, last week, how Philip baptized that eunuch just like that on that day. So again, we now see Paul just like that, being baptized on water. There's no two-month wait here. There's no wait for the next baptism service. There's no church course to go through. But Paul is baptized as he repents. Just the way it's supposed to be. Acts 9:19. 9, and taking food, Paul was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, "He is the Son of God." Wow, it's, this is so amazing because, you know, <laughs> this guy Paul—he is really taking a one eighty. Like this is just, imagine like being fervently against it. Like it's hard; it, it breaks my my brain. Right? Like being fervently against the faith, and then suddenly after this encounter, he is. Immediately, just about thereafter, proclaiming Jesus in the very synagogues that he before went to to amass support for persecuting Jesus and Jesus's followers. Now he's there, encouraging them to follow Yeshua. Like what? Like so? This is just so. Like this. We know that the story is historical, right? And. Listen, if you're listening to me today and and you you you're wondering about Christ, you're wondering about whether he is real. You're wondering about whether this faith of Christianity is for real. This is an evidence because this man is willing to lose everything for this Christ. He believes he is so convinced about this. In other words, he really did go blind, and Ananias really did lay his hands on him, and he got healed. That is a a a proof of that miracle. This is a a, a historical proof that that miracle did take place. Because if that miracle did not take place, then Paul would not do this radical turn. Because you know, even psychology, modern day psychology, would tell you that no one is willing to go and die for something or lose everything for something they don't really believe in. So we know that whatever happened in Paul's life had to be so strong, so powerful that it had to shake him so much for him to do this conversion so radically, so quickly. This was something unimaginable and it brings legitimacy to the the resurrection of Christ to Paul's healing, which is already a miraculous event in and of itself, also bringing legitimate legitimacy to the story of Christ and his power. And now um, what, what we also see furthermore is that this. This also legitimizes Paul's story. Paul now who is being set up as being someone who will be authoring a lot of the New Testament. This is a he, he becomes a very big deal later on. You know, as Christ said, I am choosing him as my chosen instrument. If that is true, it is very important for us to take note of that because, well. It seems really that God has done that with Paul. We also see another element bring legitimacy to his own. Um, Testimony of being sent by God as him being around the disciples. One of the first things that happened is it says for some days he was with the disciples. In fact, when we read on in Acts 9 verse 28, it says, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So Paul was not doing all of this in isolation. He was among the disciples, that was the first thing he did before he went to the synagogues and preached. And then later it also says he went in and out among them in Jerusalem. In other words, the disciples, you know, even though eventually in the beginning they were initially kind of like woof, we're afraid of this, guy. Is this like for real Did God really do this? That's that's to be understood, right? But after they saw what God had done, he was in and out among them. He was being a, he was a part of them. They were approving of his ministry because, well, you know, if you're in and out among them and they don't approve of you. Well, they're going to make that known to everyone in the church in that day, as well as it's going to be written down in scripture because they knew how influential he was. And. Yes. So this also brings further legitimacy to Paul, and this is very important to bring out because There are many today who try to claim that Paul is not sent by God, not God's instrument, a false apostle going as far as to tear out his words out of the Bible. That's just, you know, that's what's happening. But here's the problem is that in short, we when we do that, we need to get rid of the disciples too, who followed Christ. And then we need to get ultimately question Christ himself. To have our, our 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 mindset be logically and consistent, because if the disciples approved of him, but we question him, well, then we have to question the judgment of the disciples. If he went in and out among them, being like a part of them, and if we question the disciples, we need to now question everything they wrote about Christ, because they wrote the rest of the New Testament. This leaves us with a big dilemma, doesn't it? And so we have uh, I have um, done a video with my brother, David Wilbur, on this topic where there was a few years back a person who made a who who made a statement that Paul is a false apostle. And we we talked about this. We tackled a lot of the arguments made for this. And I really encourage you to watch that video. Um, I'm going to be linking it in the description of this video, as well as in the card up here for you defending Paul. And, you know, this individual who who made this these arguments that we talked about, who made arguments that Paul was not a true apostle, we warned in that video that anyone who goes down this route will eventually be forced to deny the disciples and eventually the Bible and Christ. And even though at the time, this person who was simply denying Paul did not deny Christ yet in the coming months, his ministry would eventually crumble because he eventually does deny, did deny Christ and did deny um, the disciples and so on because he denied Paul because it's a slippery slope. And if you deny Paul, that's where that slippery slope leads. And so our prediction came true for this. So I'm saying this as a warning and as a caution that, you know, if you're entertaining this idea that Paul is, is not an instrument of God. It is a very slippery slope. So make very sure and get really, uh, really investigate this thoroughly and really consider Paul's words deeply. Oftentimes people are don't understand Paul's words because his words are hard to understand, they truly are sometimes hard to understand, but they're not impossible to understand. They're hard to understand for, the, for those of us un, who are unlearned. And, and look, all of us have been unlearned. And many of us are still unlearned in many avenues and places of scripture. But just because we don't understand what Paul is saying, and may misunderstand what he is saying, doesn't mean that we should jump to conclusions and, and just throw him out. It just maybe means that we should do more deeper study and ask questions and learn from those who, who have answers, right? So, um, just a, just a little bit of an encouragement there for you, and sisters. Uh, I myself have studied Paul deeply for years now and I can find no fault. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings of Paul. Um, but I see, I found his writings to be deeply inspired by the Holy Spirit. And if you do with his writings, by the way, you need to do with the book of Acts as well, away with the book of Acts as well, because the book of Acts gives witness to Paul, of course, including the story we're reading right now. And if we do away with the, with the book of Acts, well, we need to do away with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And that leaves us with a big dilemma because. The gospel story is very incomplete without the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So you can now just listen to me and hear about all the massive problems that we start facing when we question Paul and his legitimacy. And that's why from the onset, I believe the writer is bringing legitimacy to Paul by showing that he was close with the disciples. Okay, let's read on Um, today. I want to end this teaching off with you by just showing a little bit about the power of testimony, because the rest of Chapter 9 of Acts delves into that. Um, Acts 9 verse 21, we read about how Paul is now sharing in the synagogues. It says, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Right? Like this is like crazy. Like like as he is sharing in synagogues and in places, Paul's past, his testimony of what ha- he, he did do and where he has been, becomes an integral part of his witness. In other words, when we talk about, Christ to people, it's very important for us to to tell them about our testimony, where we have been and where we are now, because the most powerful part of the gospel is how it has the power to transform us Any mir- there's miracle. There's a miracle that is greater than the greatest healing or the greatest um, um, sign and wonder. It is the the work that God's spirit does in the heart of a man who has heard and received the gospel. And that is what you have. If you're listening to this and you've received the gospel, you have a testimony to share. And these people said, wow, they were in wonder. They were amazed It said when Paul did what he did because of his past. And this led others to question, well, wow. I mean, could it be that what he is saying is true? Considering that he must have had been so impacted by what he is saying. I mean, no man does this for nothing. Right. Another example um, given to us is in verse 34 here with Aeneas, who is healed from paralysis, paralysis. We read and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And it says all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Another example of how in this case. So we had an example of a testimony with Paul now causing people to be amazed and now we have a testimony of a sign and wonder a healing with that Peter does causing it says many in Leda and Sharon saw him and they turned in other words the the role of healings and signs and wonders are very pervasive we see Paul himself being healed that is a sign there we see Peter being um, administering healing. So the gift of healing is so powerful. It seems that to be a primary gift at the forefront of bringing the gospel to the nations. As I've mentioned before, we are seeing it just here again. And now we are seeing Tabitha, another example as this chapter nine ends. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body. He said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up in calling the saints and widows. He presented her alive and became known to all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. So amazing. It says this a miracle of raising her from the dead became known throughout all Joppa. There's now another place and many believed another sign and wonder that shows how it impacts the place there. So brothers, sisters, I guess my question is, how can we today I've I've made this point before, but, you know, the scriptures are just screaming this. How can we today go and say. You know, well, we don't need this. We don't need people to be raised from the dead anymore. That's a We have the Bible now. We don't need to be people, people to be healed instantly, miraculously. We have the Bible now. We just have the word now. We just need to proclaim them the word. We don't need to speak in tongues. We don't need prophecy. We don't need interpretation of tongues we don't need words of knowledge but yet all of these things were like one with christ you cannot separate it from him if you do there is no christ and it's one with the disciples peter the early church peter people who weren't apostles who weren't the the 12 disciples paul himself the many miracles we have we just read about ananias all of these people, it was like this, these things were like part of them. This is this is like you cannot separate it. And and in fact, this makes no sense with Mark 16, where it says and these signs will follow those who believe. And it lists a few things like healing the sick, speaking in new tongues and so on and so forth. So so we see that these these, you know, today, this is what boggles my mind is you know i'm just someone who, who loves the bible reads the bible i'm no one special but when i read it it boggles my mind and it boggled my mind as a a young a very young person young in the lord looking at these scriptures looking at the people around me and the churches and everyone around me and i and you know not to i'm not here to just point fingers but i am here to ask the question look how can we act like this is supposed to be absent or it, it's OK for it to be absent? Like it's just like because it was it would be such a weird principle to remove all of these things from the book of Acts. Like it's almost like there wouldn't even be a book of Acts. And and Joppa, who who it says now many believed, many would not be believing in Joppa this day if it was not for Peter's miracle here, raising Tabitha. And Lydia and Sharon, that, those places who turned to the Lord when Aeneas healed that other one from paralysis, they would not have turned to the Lord if it was not for that. Or what about Paul sharing his testimony of healing and of his eyesight and radical transformation? If it was not that, then how, how would those people have been amazed and how would they have come to the Lord? Remove these things and you remove these people from hearing and believing in the gospel. Like this is how huge it is. For some reason, they thought that it wasn't just enough to proclaim the resurrection as incredibly important that is. They knew that there there needed to be a sign to have people understand that this is for real, that it's not just a story. But god their god is alive and real and still works among them through them this day will you be one who steps out in your workplace in your events families wherever you are grocery stores petrol stations wherever you go will you be someone who steps out and prays for the sick and listens and hears the Lord's voice when he calls you to be an Ananias. To go here and there and lay your hands on this and that person. Or or just simply when you see a need, you don't always need to wait for the Lord to call you. He doesn't always do that. Mostly I don't, sometimes the Lord can tell you something, but most often for me it's just a, Oh, I, I see someone who's hurting, let me pray for them. Or, oh, I see this person who doesn't know the gospel. Let me share with them my journey. You know, so this is so powerful and we cannot remove this from the word itself. And we cannot remove it from our modern church, as unfortunately, many have tried and we cannot try and say, well, we don't need these things. We don't need these these revivals. Look at all these these revivals that happened, all of these little cities it came to faith revival doesn't mean that the whole world believes because we know that th- that won't happen and there's a great falling away and there's all these things yeah the whole world is not going to come to faith but there are pockets of revivals and that is biblical that is very biblical and those pockets of revivals of people coming to faith because of the works of the holy spirit are supposed to continue today and we are supposed to become a part of those revivals in our communities in our places so Father, I pray, Lord, that all who listen and hear this today would come and be inspired in their hearts to become a pocket of revival in their city lord i pray holy spirit you would come upon us Lord. we cry out to you and we say god help us we want to see what you saw we want to pray for enemies radically and see people like paul come to faith we want to pray lord for cities lord and we want to see cities change because we laid hands on sick people and dead people and saw them raised god we want to see the biggest miracles ever because lord we believe in the word that these things have not passed we believe that therefore today we believe you would do such a thing even through meek and mere men like us father i pray lord that you would work through us lord that you would you would help us see even though we are weak, you are strong and it's by your spirit that all these things are accomplished father come come with your spirit upon your people fill them baptize them with your spirit and empower and give them all the equipment the tools the spiritual gifts the instruments they need to manifest your kingdom to the world thank you lord for your kingdom thank you lord for christ thank you lord for the gospel all you have given us we pray this in the name of yeshua may the father bless you keep you shine his face upon you lift up his countenance upon you give you shalom and give you blessings be revival